2: This is huskeronline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: It feels good and I know the players feel good about that. It
2: certainly sets up this great game with Iowa. As a, it's a big game for a lot of reasons, but
3: for us it's they're really obvious, you know, it's a bowl opportunity, if, uh, it's playing another top-ranked team. Just lots of stuff out there for us. Now with this win tonight, it kind of set the table for that.
1: It, it brings a lot to us. Um, it brings us the confidence we need, and it gives us uh, confidence to know that we can play with anybody. Obviously, Michigan State, we play with them, and I mean, we got this win in. I mean, it's just going into bye week, knowing that we need to work on our craft and stay stay into the game because the season's not over with, and knowing that we have part of the biggest game on our schedule coming up.
4: And that sets the stage here for the bi-week edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Dan Hoppen, as you heard head coach Mike Riley and, and defensive tackle Vincent Valentine just talking about what's ahead now. This Nebraska football team has won two games in a row for the first time this season. It's hard to say, but uh, they are finally finding a rhythm, guys. And, um, you know, they, they have a week to get healthy. Iowa coming into Lincoln. They announced the game it will be a national television broadcast, two thirty ABC. It's the first time ever the Nebraska Iowa game has been selected for the two thirty window. The previous four have all been eleven a.m. games. So this is Robin uh, setting up to be a pretty fun week next week uh, as we start to look ahead.
3: Well, you know it's funny you mentioned that I mean, the, the first time two wins in a row and. Uh, I'm going to do the old Lou Brown quote from Major League. Okay, we won a game yesterday. If we win today, it's called two in a row. If we win again tomorrow, it's called a winning streak. It has happened before. That's what Nebraska has to rally around and realize they finally have momentum on their side for the first time all season. So um, I think the bye week, you know, uh, is coming at a great time. You know, they got Iowa that's feeling all the pressure of trying to keep their undefeated season alive. Nebraska's got almost two full weeks to prepare and continue to get even more healthy and get Iowa on a short week at home and a 2.30 kickoff on national television. The table is set, man. The table is set for them to pull off... Two potential top ten uh, upsets in a span of three games, and all of a sudden the the whole perception of this season might uh, take a complete flip.
1: It feels kind of crazy that we're even discussing – it almost feels like Nebraska, at least in the minds of Nebraska fans, is the favorite at this point. I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far and say that. We'll see how Iowa looks this weekend. But, yeah, I, you can just see, I think, in the way that this team and these coaches are carrying themselves right now. They've got a newfound confidence, and it just it makes me wonder so much just what happens to this team and this season if at the beginning of the year they tip away that BYU pass. Or if Tommy's, you Falls know,
4: down at Illinois.
1: Yeah, if he falls down at Illinois, if his... If he takes
4: know, a sack at Illinois, they win the game. <laughs> if his, you know,
1: touchdown pass against Miami is two feet higher in overtime and doesn't get intercepted. You know, just so many of those plays, I think, just beat them up mentally. If some of those things don't happen and those turn into wins, what does the season look like?
4: Yeah, it, it, it's just such a rare season, a season that none of us have ever really been a part of. Uh, I know Mike Riley and other coaches you talk to have said in their coaching careers they've never had a season like this. But um, I think what's positive is you've got something to hang your hat on. And if, if you can beat Iowa – this will be the best six and six season in America uh, because you you would have two wins over potential power six bowl teams and Nebraska would be a very hot 6-6 six and six team going into a bowl game. It would be great for recruiting. Um, and, you know, Sam McEwen wrote an interesting breakdown this week in the Omaha World-Herald about five-win bowl teams, and yeah. it's pretty much a lock. If Nebraska loses to Iowa, they're in. Um, for them not to get in, there would have to be just a, a crazy amount of upsets. I'm talking like 20-point underdogs beating teams yeah. for Nebraska not to go bowling.
3: Wasn't it over like 15 five-loss teams or something like that would all need to win out? to jump Nebraska and basically push them out of the mix. So, mm-hmm. uh, and some of those matchups, I mean, there's complete underdogs on that list that really have zero chance at winning. So, I, I mean, like you said, I think it's almost a given that Nebraska will be bowling.
4: Well, and a win pretty much puts Nebraska no worse than Foster Farms. You're looking at Foster Farms, Pinstripe, maybe Music City Bowl as the best case scenario. Now, if you lose, then you, then you don't know where you go. You could still maybe go to Foster Farms. Um, but it just depends on what shakes out. You know, Minnesota could be a five-win team. Illinois could be a five-win team. Uh, Nebraska would be selected over those teams, but Certainly, if, yeah. if they're all eligible, do those teams get better treatment because they beat Nebraska, like Illinois, or or will they try to find the best fits? Um, that remains to be seen. I think for Nebraska's sake, guys, they just need to win next week against yeah. Iowa, which is a big if, but I think Vegas, ha- I'll say it now, I think Nebraska is gonna, going to be the favorite in terms of Las Vegas points next week.
3: It would not surprise me one bit. I mean, for some reason, that home field advantage gets a lot of love in Vegas, and um, it's not like Iowa's gone out and blown out every team they've played either. I mean, they're a team that's just kind of made the winning plays when they've had to. And so uh, with the way Nebraska's playing and you know the fact that it's at home, and again, I, I'm going to go back to the 2.30 kickoff. Oh, yeah, that's three, that that's, is,
4: that's three or four extra beers in every fan in there. <laughs> that is
3: absolutely huge because <laughs> the energy level at 11 a.m. compared to 2.30 in the afternoon is, is not even comparable. Yeah, those are 11 a.m.
4: games and I'm leaving my house about 8 o'clock in the morning. It's just dead. Yeah, man. everybody's just sleepwalking. And people just literally get to the stadium at 10 and park and go in where it's going to be just a convoy of cars coming in from Iowa and Nebraska. I'm, I'm looking forward just to see the amount of Iowa fans. I think it could potentially be as many opposing fans coming into Lincoln since maybe 2003 Kansas State when they came in and basically got Frank Solge fired, but they took over Memorial yep. Stadium, Darren Sproles and L. Roberson, Ran it up in Memorial Stadium. Bo Pelini got in the face of Bill Snyder that night. And mm-hmm. Remember that? That was a that's a I think that's the most opposing fans I can remember in Memorial Stadium. I think this will rival that.
3: Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how many Nebraska fans end up selling their tickets. I mean, or have already, uh, because Iowa fans are going to be swarming and trying to find tickets as much as possible. So there's going to be a lofty price for those that. Um, you know, we, we'll we'll really test to see how uh, how loyal this fan base is with not selling those tickets to, to Iowa fans.
1: I'm sure there are some Nebraska fans who sold their tickets a few weeks yeah. ago who
4: are probably regretting that now, wishing that they could have those back. What's interesting, though, guys, is Iowa. You know they they had like nine thousand tickets available still this week for their senior day home game against Purdue. I mean that's just unfathomable. That's terrible. That's terrible. You're ten and zero. Your final game at home. They even gave you a two thirty game against Purdue, mm-hmm. and you had nine, Well, and that goes back to where they were at the start of the year. If you remember that article, Iowa had only sold like I want to say around forty thousand season tickets. Um, so people always scoff at oh the sellout streaks in jeopardy, guys. It could be a heck of a lot worse. I mean Iowa's ten and zero. And they have nine thousand tickets still available. It might might be closer to seven or eight now, but um, that's unbelievable in my books.
3: Yeah, and it it just kind of just shows the the differences in programs that you know Nebraska how how unique they are from the rest of college football that, you know, we're talking about a team that's you know still under 500 and is going to sell out their season finale. So uh, it's I think a lot of times we take it for granted just the, the amount of support that this program does have and uh, the loyalty of the fan base and the fact that, uh, you know, through thick and thin, Nebraska fans are going to show up.
4: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We'll have a little bit different format today because it's the bye week. Uh, we still will have plenty of football talk, but we will give Robin Washett his one basketball segment. He has, Let's to, go. has to talk a little hoops uh, as Nebraska – um, really got the initiation beating on the road. Um, the freshman took took a pounding in that game uh, at Villanova, um, and we'll get Robin's thoughts on that. Obviously, we'll solve have a stock watch report. Uh, Nate Klaus will, will be in the program here today to uh, give us the full recruiting breakdown over the bye week where the coaches will be. Um, so still plenty to talk about, guys. Nebraska did practice uh, two times this week. Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, I think they are still pretty, pretty uh, heavy duty practice. It wasn't like they were just out there in sweats running around. I mean, they they wanted to make sure, Robin, that these were high intensity level practices.
3: Yeah, they were half pad practices, but you know, Mike Riley made it clear that they wanted to go hard two days this week, and um, you know, the rest of the week is just gonna they're gonna give them time off and uh, just focus on weightlifting, and uh, then they're gonna kick off their uh, official week of Iowa prep on Sunday. So basically, they're just moving everything up a day and uh, handling it like normal, and the good thing is Mike Riley is used to these early week games because he played a whole bunch of them in the Pac-12 at Oregon State so uh, he knows how to handle these short weeks.
4: Well this is the first time guys since I don't know what year the last time Nebraska had the bye before the short week. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say you would have to go back to 2009 Uh, they had a bye before Colorado when Nebraska played out at Colorado uh, but after that Nebraska hasn't traditionally their bye was always before this short week no. um, at least that's how it was when i started covering the team in the 90s and 2000s and then that that kind of they kind of lost that bye but it's a huge advantage for nebraska to have the bye and be at home where iowa you know has to play saturday and travel on short rest yeah. especially
1: for a nebraska team that's been so banged up all year i mean we've seen them get you know more healthy recently but for guys you know maybe who have even been playing like a kevin williams or a freedom Akin Mulladoon or even Michael Rose Ivy, guys that have been out there but on limited reps or, you know, they're not 100%. They get more of a chance to rest up and hopefully they'll be able to contribute more.
4: All right, guys, when we come back, we have plenty to talk about. We haven't touched on Rutgers and and what happened, Nebraska 31 14 winner. We'll give our just final thoughts, big takeaways that came out of that long trip out to New Jersey. Next, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
2: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Definitely the opportunity came. Uh, you know, I'm thankful that they, they gave me the
5: opportunity to run the ball and to be using this um, in this scheme. And I think my main thing is just continuing to get better every day and focus on the little things and what can I do to elevate my game to help this team win.
4: And that was senior Nebraska running back Amani Cross. The last two weeks, Cross has been the workhorse back for Nebraska. Somewhat of a surprise. I don't think anybody could have predicted in games 10 and 11 that Amani Cross would be Nebraska's featured running back. He's gotten about 40 carries and wins over Rutgers and Michigan State, and it looks like they plan to really ride him home against Iowa. Um, You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, and Robin, let's, let's let's get into Rutgers. Uh, we were both out there uh, covering the game this past weekend, and um, it was just kind of one of those games, I felt, when, when you look at how it played out. Nebraska, a 31-14 winner, but I felt it was the first time all year we've seen this full defense together since BYU, and, and there was a legitimate pass rush. Six quarterback sacks, 11 tackles for loss, two interceptions, and for as many mistakes as Tommy Armstrong made, mistakes that oftentimes would lose you a game, the defense, I thought, carried Nebraska along with special teams.
3: It just goes to show how big of a difference being healthy makes with this team. I mean, obviously depth was a big concern, and uh, they were hit with it right away with injuries and suspensions. And uh, it wasn't until probably that Rutgers game that we finally saw this defense at full capacity just from a, a depth standpoint. And uh, that allowed them to do a lot of different things schematically. Uh, I think that was Far and away, the most dime they've played all season. The first time long. they've run dime since BYU. Yes. Yeah, so since so the season opener. So I mean, that just shows from a personnel standpoint how limited they've been. I mean, they haven't been able to run dime that much, and with the defensive backs that we know they have, uh, that really plays to their strength. And we got to see, you know, the, with the blitz packages, you know, bringing Aaron Williams and um, Josh Kalu off the edge, and you know, being able to apply pressure up the middle, uh, they were really able to keep Rutgers' offense off balance all night long and really get to Chris La with the pass rush, Uh, and, uh, you know, again, the defensive backs made plays on the ball, and uh, from basically top to bottom, it was probably one of the most complete defensive efforts we've seen all season.
4: Dan, let's talk about Tommy Armstrong, though. You wrote an interesting breakdown of him after the game, uh, the yin and the yang of Tommy Armstrong, uh, three interceptions. Um, One of them was maybe not his fault, but they were just bad moments in the game. I mean, it was just Could have lost. I mean, you play anybody better than Rutgers, those types of plays probably lose the game for Nebraska.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially that second interception he threw where he was trying to throw deep to Stanley Morgan, basically just heaved it about, felt like 60 yards in the air, and it was almost like a punt return for the defensive back. Those are the type of plays that just make you scratch your head. And it's the crazy thing about Tommy Armstrong because he got off to such a good start in that game. And then I think he had three interceptions on Four Nebraska drives, so it's just turning the ball over like crazy. And then right when Rutgers kind of gets back in the game, he comes down and makes that tough touchdown pass to Ethan Carter, where he just gets walloped and actually, you know, had to um, be helped off the field by trainers. Tough kid, didn't miss any time, but that's you know, you kind of just have to take the, give the, and the take. good and the bad with them. Yeah, you have to accept that he's going to look great at times, and at times he's just going to do stuff that's going to make you go, Tommy. What are you
5: doing,
4: Yeah, you think about the three touchdown passes he made. There aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the Big Ten that make those three throws. The one to Alonzo Moore? Come on. I mean, (laughs) that was crazy. I
1: don't think there's another quarterback. Maybe Connor Cook.
4: And people forget about his first one to Wester Camp. There were four guys in the area of Wester Camp, and mm-hmm. he just threw that ball in the window uh, to put Nebraska up seven nothing. And then obviously the Carter one. He was double covered. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, th- those were unbelievable catches. Great catch by Carter too. Yeah. But then you see even the play where Brandon Riley got hurt. Armstrong wasn't supposed to throw that ball. He was only supposed to throw the ball if the corner was off of Riley. Well, the corner was up in Riley. And basically, because he was on him, he caught the ball, rolled up his ankle, and now your number two receiver is uh, on a bad ankle right now, and hopefully he's okay for Iowa. But, yeah, those are the things that you just have to live with with Tommy Armstrong. Um, He kind of plays YOLO all the time, and uh, he's going to take those chances. Uh, But, man, his arm strength, there aren't that many quarterbacks in college football that have some of the arm arm talent he has on some of those throws. I mean, I can't believe – uh, the strength he can throw sometimes off his back foot.
3: It makes so much sense that he has spent time learning under Brett Favre in so many ways just because it's they're very similar just in the like you said, the, the yin and the yang with them. I mean there are plays that uh you know Tommy Makes that, like you said, no other quarterback in the Big Ten can make them. But uh, it's you know going to give fans ulcers by the time he's done here. But uh, I think that the good news is that uh, as the defense continues to improve, those you know unforgiving mistakes are not quite as bad as they have been in previous games you know they're able to recover from them and that allows the good tommy to kind of balance things out and maybe even uh, cancel out the the mistakes he makes
1: and sean you talk about how strong his arm is i think he definitely uses that to his advantage but i think it gets him in trouble sometimes too because he he sees a tiny window and he says hey i've made this throw before i can do this again and Those throws, as we've seen, sometimes end up getting picked off.
4: You know, we saw just how good those back foot throws are. I remember the Purdue game, Riker 5 tried to make some of those back foot throws. Didn't work. And and that (laughs) that ball just didn't have the mustard that Tommy had as he threw all those picks out in West Lafayette. Um, But, yeah, that's something that I'm sure is just frustrating that – the quarterbacks still aren't really stepping up in the pocket. I mean, if Nebraska has really not had a quarterback since Sam Keller, maybe Joe Gans, Mm -hmm. that effectively slides up in the pocket instead of falling backwards and throwing on that back foot. but. Uh, hopefully, we all,
1: we all know Taylor didn't do that.
4: <laughs> yeah, hopefully, Patrick O'Brien. Um, I think Taylor did it one game in his career, and it was at Oklahoma State where he outduel the um, what's his name Brandon Wheaton. Brandon Whedon. That was the. I still think that was maybe the best game of his career.
1: His freshman year, I I think he threw for three hundred fifty-one yards, and it was a week or two after that huge running game they had against K-State.
4: That was a good Oklahoma State team. Oh yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a seven-win team, I and mean, it was like a ten-win Oklahoma State team, but. Uh, we're back here to 2015. <laughs> we're listening. <laughs> you're, li- you're listening here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska uh, gets the victory uh, over Rutgers last week, 31-14. They're 3-4 and four in the Big Ten now on the bye week, and it's been a crawl to get a 3-4. and four. I mean, I don't think – uh, when they lost to Purdue nobody thought three and four was probably possible I mean I, I think people thought this could be a two and six team Robin when, when you look at where this team was at after Purdue
3: yeah after purdue it was complete doomsday I mean people wanted everyone fired from the athletic department to, uh, the, you know, student managers uh, from the equipment staff. I mean, it was a complete uh, um, the mob in full force. And so the, the way that this team has been able to, to respond and, uh, you know, you got to tip your hat to not only the coaching staff, but the players. I mean, this, this season was on the brink of just a complete utter disaster and they turned it around an hour in a potential situation where they could knock off their second top 10 team and uh, finish, you know, 500 in the regular season with a bowl game, you know, finished above 500. And, uh, you know, you ask, you know, back in the, the end of October, if that was even possible, most people would have told you heck no. So uh, it's uh, certainly been quite the turnaround and uh, at least given some reason for optimism that, uh, you know, this thing is headed in the right direction.
4: I still go back to the defensive play, though. That That is why this team's gotten better. Uh, I think the offense last week played poor in a lot of ways. They only threw for 180 they didn't really have any real long breakout runs other than the one Divino Zigbo had, and that was like his only carry of the game, I yeah. think. But the defense is the key. And when we watched this team in August, we all thought if they're going to be anything this year, it's because the defense is going to be strong up front. And you know Kyle Flood, um, the Rutgers coach who got booed by his own fan base during a PSA service announcement on Saturday, mm-hmm. after the game, <laughs> Kyle Flood said, um, why couldn't you throw the ball? Someone asked him, why couldn't you throw the ball against Nebraska's awful pass defense? He goes, well, the pass rush they had on Saturday wasn't the pass rush they've yeah. shown on film all it's year. true.
1: And, and I think there's two other guys that have seen a lot more playing time lately, Aaron Williams and Chris Jones. Those guys have helped. I mean, I know Aaron Williams was just, you know, this most recent game against Rutgers, but Chris Jones has kind of stepped into that starting lineup. Having those two guys out there has helped a lot.
4: And I I think playing other guys, they've gotten better. I mean, nobody thought Ross DeZuris could be this type of contributor. Nobody really thought Kevin Maurice would, would become what he's become or freedom. I remember the first game against BYU. We were so used to Bo Pelini not playing anybody. Yeah. And we're like, Freedom's in? We're like, Desiris is in? You know, because Polini would play the D-line like four guys. 80 yeah. snaps. And, um, you know, Hank Hughes and Mark Banker stuck with that rotation. And now all of a sudden a group that wasn't very deep at least has some experience.
1: And I think you can say the same thing at linebacker too. With Dedrick Young, uh, Chris Weber, Marcus Newby, those are all guys who might not have gotten much playing time in recent years. And obviously injuries played a big part in that. But, yeah, Nebraska, you know, they kind of took their lumps with some of these inexperienced guys early in the year, but it's paying off now.
4: And they're, they're going to need Michael Rose-Ivy and Banderas this, this next Absolutely. week. I mean, this is a man's game. Iowa's going to come in, and, and they're going to try to punch you in the chin a little bit. And uh, that's where hopefully Rose-Ivy is – Going to be a hundred percent Banderas. Mar- I mean, those linebackers have been the most underrated group on this defense.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And you got credit to Trent Bray. I mean, uh, if anybody had the hardest job of trying to you know mix and match players uh, on a weekly basis with different lineup combinations, it's it's him. And uh, you know he's made the most out of uh, you know the the situation he was given, and uh, has really done a pretty fantastic job getting young guys to step in and play bigger roles than anybody would have expected and uh you know as as disappointing as it was not to have your top group on the field you know because of injuries or for whatever reason uh, that also provided an opportunity for Nebraska all of a sudden we have depth at linebacker now which was a big concern going into the year so uh, you take the good and the bad with that and uh, you know hope that uh, in the long run this will make that defense and especially that linebacker group a much stronger unit
4: Husker's off with practice until Sunday. Uh, We will come back here on the show. We're going to shift our focus over to basketball. Uh, The Huskers suffered a tough loss earlier this week at Villanova. We'll get Robin Washington and Dan Hoppins' take on just where this team is at and and, and what they like early on about Tim Miles' team. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
2: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics welcome back here
4: to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Dan Hoffman as we shift over now to Nebraska basketball. And uh, Huskers got off to a rough start early this year, Robin. Uh, they, they, you know, and not not unexpected, 87-63. Uh, they lose at Villanova earlier this week, but they'll get back on track. They, they have, you know, a series of games that they should be able to handle here um, before they have to go out and play Cincinnati and Brooklyn uh, but you look at that game Nebraska was up 23 16 was it at the eight minute mark
3: uh there's seven minutes
4: left seven minutes left seven forty three to be exact Villanova calls a timeout and 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 they just decide you know what we're gonna play
2: <laughs>
3: yeah it you know it, it is what it is I mean Nebraska was an 18 and a half point dog Well, that's what the line was I really yeah mean. going into that game for a reason I mean Villanova is a you know, obviously ranked number 11 in the country is a potential one seed candidate that uh, is probably better than a team that was a one seed a year ago. They will have a little more depth, a little more athleticism with the freshmen they brought in. And uh, they've also want now won 28 games in a row at home. So the odds were certainly stacked against Nebraska in that game. And so. You know, you, you obviously are disappointed that, you know, they weren't a little more competitive, especially down the stretch, but the end result should not be that surprising. Um, you know, I think maybe. The most frustrating aspect of that game for you know most fans was just how sloppy they were. You know, 22 turnovers that resulted in 33 points for Villanova. Uh, That's just I don't care who you're playing, you can't do that, especially when you're a guard-oriented team. I mean, you got to pride yourself on your ball handling, and uh, to be that careless with the basketball uh, did did not look good. And that's certainly something that has to be addressed uh, in the the next few games here.
4: And they out rebounded or outboarded Villanova. 48-36. I mean, is that just an empty stat that means nothing, Dan?
3: Yeah,
1: it really is in a game like this. And like Robin said, it comes down to the turnovers. And some of that's to be expected when you have such a young team, you're playing, you know, so many of these guys were playing really their first true road game against a very experienced Villanova club. But 10 combined turnovers between Benny Parker and Ty Webster, that's not getting it done. Those guys are veterans. They can't use the inexperienced card. I think
4: there's two staples, though, on this team, Andrew Wide and Siobhan Shields. I mean, those are going to be their two leading scorers Uh, easily and I mean who's the number three though right now if you had to go
3: continues to be the the main question who
4: need okay better question who needs to be the number three well
3: going into that game we all thought it was going to be Ty Webster and then he was absolutely horrendous in that game Uh, I mean he's averaging two point he's got four points total in the first two games of the season and uh, yeah, he scored yeah.
4: more against like, Team USA. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. So it, it, he's been a complete disappointment so far. And so uh, right now, I'd say probably that third guy is one of the freshmen. I mean, yeah. Jack McVeigh's played well. Ed Morrow has played well. And Glenn Watson, Glenn Watson yeah. took 15 shots in that Villanova game. And so he is obviously getting that confidence going and he can create scoring opportunities for himself. So uh, I don't think any of these veterans are going to be that third guy. As much as Tim Miles wants Ty Webster to be that guy, you know, this is the third year of the Ty Webster experiment. And it's gotten nowhere. I don't think it's happening. Yeah. So, I mean, I think now it's time you finally turn the page and start putting more uh, onus and responsibility on these freshmen because the truth of the matter is they are the future of your program. I mean, you recruited these guys for a reason to come in and change the face of your team. And so might as well uh, give them the opportunity to go out there and uh, kind of take the reins.
4: I'm a big Ed Morrow fan. He was three or four, five rebounds in 17 minutes. I mean, I, I just love the energy and the effort he already has shown I was able to go to the, the season opener or the exhibition game, and I, I was very impressed w- w- with what he saw, w- what he showed in the exhibition game.
3: Yeah, and the big knock was he's not going to be big enough to be a, a power forward in the Big Ten. Well, he plays way bigger than six seven. I mean, you saw some of those plays. I don't know how he got those shots up over much taller Villanova bigs, uh, but he, he you know, stuck right with them physically. He's just a tough kid that's a playmaker. He's kind of got that junkyard dog mentality that Nebraska fans are going to love the more and more they see him, because uh, he's just got that toughness that Nebraska hasn't seen down low in a long time. I don't care how big he is.
1: The thing with him, he is a little undersized and I think that's led to him getting in some foul trouble early in some of these games because he's being asked to guard guys that normally he probably wouldn't have to guard. So that's the one thing that kind of worries me with him. But also he's a young guy. It's a very small sample size. Once he starts to figure out and get a better feel for college basketball he'll be just fine.
4: Yeah, those two Chicago kids though, Morrow and Watson, I mean they're just not, Chicago kids like that, they're not intimidated. I mean they're they're ready for this moment they've played against top level yeah. you know guys um that are nba draft picks you know they, they they're not afraid of playing anybody right
3: now everybody was hyping up villanova's freshman point guard jalen brunson keep, keep in mind glenn watson played against jalen brunson basically since he was in elementary school so he, he, you know they know each other jalen brunson was probably the number one point guard out of chicago last year glenn watson was number two so there, i mean there's not That big of a separation. Ed Morrow was a Mac Urban Fire teammate of Jalen Brunson. I mean, so this is the type of kids Nebraska's recruiting now. And, I mean, Nebraska has these level of players that have, like we've been talking about, have faced some of the best of the best in, you know, college basketball right now as freshmen. So... Uh, Like you said, the intimidation factor is not there uh, when you compare them to, you know, your typical freshman.
4: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Um, As as you look forward, Robin, with this little mini stretch of games they should win, you have to think they have to figure out a rotation, though. I mean, they've been playing, they played about 10 guys um, when you go all the way down to Jacobson and Fuller uh, towards the end of the bench. I mean, how do you see this? I mean, as far as a rotation, uh, when you guys look at this team, uh, when you break down the players,
3: well, they're not going to change their starting lineup at least early on. You know, they're they got a game here. uh, Well, this is going to be one of seven uh, games in a fifteen day stretch, and so I think right now. Like you said, the focus isn't going to be necessarily on finding your starting lineup, but figuring out who that core rotation is going to be. And, um, you know, I think you're right. You eventually have to kind of pare that down. But, um, you know, I, I think we, we already know that, you know, Watson, McVay, and Morrow are all going to be guys off the bench. They're going to have to play Jake Hammond, even though he's been kind of a complete non-factor just because of his size. Uh, Ty Webster is going to have Jacob to Jacob Hammond
4: didn't even take a shot in that game. He was he, did, he had two free throws. He played th- very poorly
3: yeah they had four fouls and three turnovers too so in uh 11 minutes something like that 13 <laughs> 13 minutes. minutes yeah so but the fact is you know he's your only 610 guy on the roster so i mean you really have no choice and uh I, i'm curious to see who after that is uh, on the rotation you know i think that uh you know nick fuller he, He's he's a guy that's just going to go out there and kind of do the dirty work plays like a David Rivers type that you know isn't going to necessarily show up in the box score. No field goal attempts for him either. Right, and and so Michael Jacobson, I mean. He already burned his red shirt but for the most part, so I don't know. How
4: about Glenn Watson, 15 shot attempts in that game?
3: Yeah, like night? I said, and that was probably, you know, the announcers even said that during the game, that that was, you know, kind of a, a nice thing for Nebraska was that despite the lopsided score, it provided a guy like Glenn Watson to go out there and just kind of, you know, take control of the game a little bit. And, you know, he didn't, wasn't necessarily connecting on those shots. But Six turnovers, too. You like to see... No, only two for Watson. Yeah, Watson.
4: Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm looking at uh, Ty Webster. Yeah, had Ty, six. Had six. <laughs>
3: Ty had six. Parker had four out of the 22. So Ty
4: had more turnovers and points in yes. score on the yes. season. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
3: yes. uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of scary. Okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> like you said, you got to just kind of take that game for what it is and look at some of the positives, and I think you'll start to see things kind of get back on track with some you know easier competition in the next couple games and then hope they can play better when they head out to Brooklyn for the Barclays tournament.
4: All right, when we come back, we will move on to our Stock Report segment. Nate Klaus will join the show as uh, we continue here this bi-week edition of the Husker Online Show. <laughs>
2: You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's always vital for them to be
5: good blockers, but we like them to be. A, they're such a good weapon downfield. They, they are a mismatch a lot of times against a linebacker or a safety, which you saw in the game a couple times. And a guy that's got his athletic ability, you know, he's versatile. You can hand him the ball and he can gain yards. Um, you can throw him the ball and he's going to be a, 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 a really good blocker. That's one thing he's done in the last two games that I don't know if everybody's noticed, but he has had some great finishes on blocks. And you get. You get all the publicity with the catches and the runs, but his blocking has really improved. He's in a, a nice job with that stuff. It's helped us.
4: And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppe, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washed, as we now move into our stock watch segment. And that was offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff just talking about uh, the emergence of Seaton Carter Last week it was a career game for him. Um, he scored a touchdown through the air, on the ground. Both of them were on third downs, I believe. Was the pass a third down or second down play? I know the run was on third,
3: third down. The third down,
4: yeah. So two third down kind of do-or-die moments, and, and Seathan Carter steps up. But um, his block, his blocking has been another uh, real, real strong point for Nebraska that uh, the coaches have talked about. So he leads off our Stock Watch segment, Seathan Carter, Stock Up.
3: Yeah, I mean, how many stories have we written, especially in the off season, of the potential of Seathen Carter in this offense, and how many different ways Nebraska could utilize a guy like that? Well, We've anointed him
4: as Tony Gonzalez for the last three yeah. years, basically. Yeah. yeah,
3: and unfortunately, for you know inju- reasons for injury or suspension, I mean, he just was never on the field, and I think that played a big role in him not you know being a factor in this offense until just recently because he missed so much time. I mean, he missed a whole bunch of time in spring ball, and then he had the two-game suspension to start off the year and uh, was dealing with injuries on top of that. So, I mean, he just wasn't on the field getting reps. And so uh, just now he's finally starting to be the guy we uh, always thought he was going to be.
4: All right, we've talked football. We've talked basketball on this show. But Dan Hoppen has an interesting outside the box for your stock up.
1: Uh, My stock up, baseball recruiting. Uh, Darren Erstad, you know, was uh, he ended up being a semifinalist for the Los Angeles Dodgers managerial position. He uh, withdrew from consideration last Friday. Uh, Met with the media Tuesday, basically said that this was, you know, obviously a a really um, a great and humbling opportunity for him, but he just couldn't bring himself to leave Nebraska. This helps out Nebraska's recruiting, I think, in two ways. First of all, the fact that the Dodgers, one of baseball's best and most, you know, historically great. That's my team, baby. that, That is your team. They're one of baseball's best and most historically great franchises. Wanted him to come in and be their manager. That's how much they think of his coaching ability how much they respect him How much they think he can connect with young players so that kind of shows some of these prospects Hey, this is a guy's a good coach and B If Darren Erstad didn't take this job, he's not going anywhere. He's got all kinds of ties to California This is like I said before a very prestigious position. If Erstad turned this down and said I love Nebraska then he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So recruits can come to Nebraska and know, hey, my coach isn't going to be bolting in two or three years if another job comes up. Maybe if
4: Mike Sosa retired down the road and he said, I want Erstad to be my successor. With
1: the Angels, that might be the one opportunity.
4: But that's a big if. I mean, that's a a great franchise. But he he could be. I mean, you never know how that would play out down the road. But, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of what that leads to. Uh, Robin Washett, what's your stock up?
3: Well, first of all, I think Dan is kind of Pushing for a raise with the Dodger talk there. <laughs> Trying to get on your good side. Uh, but anyway, as far What did far I as say as that wasn't true? <laughs> Just, well, the Dodgers are so good. They're probably one of the best teams in baseball they're, history.
1: They're a World Series favorite right Arietta, now. That's
3: entirely a- 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 true. A- a- right? Arietta did take the Cy
4: Young from Zach Granke, which I'm pretty upset about. And Clayton Kershaw. And Clayton Kershaw. Boom
3: all right anyway back to my stock up i'm gonna go with my man andrew white uh you know he was kind of put on, third yes andrew white the third he was kind of put on this pedestal to be uh you know this the, the next taran pet in terms of being that number one scoring option and uh through two games he has done exactly that 18 points in each of the first two games and more impressively 18 against villanova was kind of one of the few bright spots in that game and uh, the guy has just been everything for this team, you know, since day one. Not only is he, you know, one of their top scoring options, uh, he's one of their better rebounders, and he, more importantly, he's probably one of the biggest team leaders. Uh, even though he's just a first year junior, that's got two games as a Husker under his belt. I mean, he's, he's been a complete stud uh, ever since he's been here, and uh, fans are going to continue to love him uh, as he continues.
4: All right, we close our stock up here with Nate Klaus. The coaches uh, have had practice this week, but they're going to have a really busy weekend here ahead, Nate.
0: Well, yeah, being the recruiting guy on the show, I'm going to go with recruiting. Bye week recruiting. This is a huge week for Nebraska. All the entire coaching staff is going to be out on the road, including Mike Riley, and uh, you know he's already gone out and seen Matt Farniak, who's arguably their number one target on the board, and uh, is will be everyone's out on the road. You know, starting Thursday, uh, seeing you know a number of prospects, and I think most importantly is that you know in the past when when there was a bye week and the staff would go out on recruiting, it was Kind of a you know a catch up effort, kind of trying to catch up and make up ground with a lot of kids, and you know that they may have lost during the season. Well, that's not the case for Nebraska. They've done an excellent job recruiting during the season. They've brought in a number of guys for official visits, and this week is is crucial uh, to to keep that momentum going with a lot of guys who have either visited already, are currently committed to Nebraska, or who will be coming in on visits here shortly. So, um, huge opportunity for the coaches this week, and, and from the kids that I've talked with, uh, they're pretty excited that Nebraska is stopping by their schools this week.
4: A quick follow-up for you on Coach Riley. Is he on the road more on a bye week than typically what Bo Pelini was the last seven years? No question about it. I mean, Bo was maybe one one Juco guy. Maybe
0: or... one stop to one guy, uh, but typically he would be... Javon Walton was his one stop that yeah. one year. <laughs> typically the... Typically, Pelini would be in Lincoln, uh, would be around the team, and and really he, he most times he would have at least one or two you know of his
4: coordinators staying in, it was a in less, town too. It was a kind of a less miles mentality how he treated the body. He didn't like his coordinators on the road. No, nope,
0: Didn't like the coordinators on the road, and uh, you know wasn't afraid to to have some of his assistants out, but it wasn't an entire effort by the the whole coaching staff.
4: All right, you're listening here to the Husker line Show as we continue our Stock Watch segment. Let's go stock down. Uh, we're just going to have two stock downs today. Robin, who do you have for this one?
3: Well, as good as Andrew White has been, uh, maybe the biggest disappointment so far through two games has been Ty Webster for Nebraska basketball. Uh, You know, I uh, personally uh, contributed to this because I wrote the story about how he could potentially be Nebraska's X factor this season as as that third scoring option. Uh, You know, he looks so good in the exhibition, but through two games, he's averaging two points, 2.5 rebounds, eight turnovers eight turnovers are just four assists and is two of 10 shooting 0 and 4 from three point range and has missed his only free throw. So absolutely zero contribution from one of your only veteran guys that, uh, I know Tim miles personally had pretty high hopes for this season.
4: And I'm going to close out stock watch with stock down for Rutgers head coach, Kyle flood. He got booed. I mean, <laughs> got, God bless the, uh, the New York sports market, the head coach is on the freaking big screens there, doing like a PSA announcement for like click it or ticket or something, and it's just a bevy of New York
0: boo. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was unbelievable. And somebody, somebody in the media actually asked Kyle Flood, "What did it feel like to get booed in your own stadium?" I'm my like, god, dang! I know it's Let, vicious. Wait, what do you? And he's like, "Hey." That's life in the big city, guys. You know, he he's, he handles it well, but you have to think unless they beat Army and Maryland and go five and seven, which is he's a, in trouble. He's in, I mean, and that's still not even a guarantee that he could keep his job because uh, the confidence of that fan base. I mean, just the fans we talk to, Robin. They they are not Kyle Flood fans. Well,
3: especially after everything that's gone down over the course of the season. I mean, when you go in there and try and. Uh, Muscle out teachers to give your guys good grades, then that's uh, not a good look. It's a dead man walking. Yeah. That's Tony Soprano tactics yeah, right no there. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
4: When we come back. We will close the bi week show out with Nate Klaus and we'll talk Husker recruiting.
2: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Are you guys looking at a
4: junior college quarterback at all? Is that a potential that you guys could look at? Yeah,
5: yeah, but, um, you know, and we're looking at all the positions in terms of, of uh, you know, is there a, a possibility there? Um, and and if, if so, you know, can we get him on campus? Can we get him into school? All, all, just all the stuff.
4: Sure. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf talking to me earlier this week. About the possibility, we we know they're going to take junior college guys on defense, Nate, uh, but even quarterback, and and we actually, that story has already played out this week, Um, and if it happens, it won't be a scholarship guy. Omaha North, Zach Martin, um, a strong lean towards being a walk-on. He was the starting quarterback at Iowa Western this past season, and his father, Larry Martin, a great friend of Husker Online for years, uh, one of the top coaches in the state of Nebraska, um, you know, I just, politically, I think it's a great move if Zach Martin ends up being the Juco quarterback in his class.
0: Well, look, this is a win-win situation for everybody involved, in my opinion. You you have an opportunity to add a junior college quarterback um, from one of the best programs in the country, in Iowa Western. Uh, you've got a guy who's played a lot of football there. Um, you have a kid who's, a, you know, the son of a coach who's grown up playing football, you know, all of his life. Under- he knows guys on the team. Knows guys on the team, understands the game extremely well. Uh, high character kid, and he's a good player. I mean, he doesn't have one, you know, specific skill set that probably jumps off the film uh, to you, but he does everything well. He makes good decisions. He's an accurate passer. uh, You know, he's got great pocket presence. Uh, He's just, you know, I I, I liken him a lot to a guy like Zach Taylor, who wouldn't wow you with any physical attributes necessarily, but was just a a solid football player. And, And I'm not saying Zach Martin would be Zach Taylor,
4: but, you know. You just never know. You just never know. Like, say his senior year, how things shake out. Exactly. You just never know.
0: for him to be a two-for-two two mid-year grad. Now, unfortunately, he did tear his ACL in his last and final game at Iowa Western. So, um, he's you looking know, until like June, July. Yeah, until he's, he's looking until next summer, probably closer to, to fall camp before actually being able to come back. But, look, Nebraska told him this week, hey, we, we'd really like to have you in our program. Uh, we'd like to offer you a preferred walk-on position. Uh, and if you, you know, rise up the depth chart and make it to second or third string, we would put you on Scholarship. So it's, it's, there's a, the plan is laid out. It's clear cut. There's no gray area. Uh, and I think that, uh, I think that, you know, the Martin family is really happy with how upfront and everything Nebraska was.
4: All right, let's stick back on the 2016 class. Nebraska did do some kind of house cleaning here as far as getting that commit list cleaned up. Uh, not a surprise. Alfonso Thomas officially switched to SMU. That's basically been done, Nate, for two months. Um, and Nebraska was just letting that kid make his announcement. And then William Johnson, um, this one kind of developed quickly. Um, but Nebraska doesn't need a junior college linebacker after the play of Marcus Newby, Dedrick Young, and, and, and some Chris Weber and his academics were not going to get him here more. So William Johnson switched to UAB. Your thoughts on that?
0: Well, you know, from the get-go, the linebacker position has has been a spot on this roster where the coaches have been heavily focused on because when they arrived at Lincoln, there was, what, four guys on scholarship at that position? So uh, immediately they tried to close out that 2015 class with several prospects, and they went out, and and William Johnson was the first linebacker commit, um, you know, from the JUCO ranks that, that Nebraska had, had had received Um, and like you said the grades I think were a factor but you also had the emergence of several younger players on the roster and there just wasn't a need uh, to bring in a Juco guy in this class and uh, and that's what I like about this the staff and the recruiting staff is they're always evaluating and and, you know whether a kid is committed to them or not they're they're constantly evaluating how these guys are are playing um, you know how they're doing in the classroom and you know the goal there is to try and minimize any type of recruiting bust that you might have uh, when you bring a kid into the program and um, you saw Alfonso Thomas kind of you know and, and William Johnson kind of work their way out of this rec- out of this recruiting class and now there's two extra spots that Nebraska can replace those guys with that could potentially come in and make an impact somewhere else.
4: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as Nebraska is in their bye week which means the coaches are going to be out in full force and I urge you to go on HuskerOnline.com, Nate Klaus, Mike Mattia and the team have a great premium breakdown of where the Husker coaches will be, and you are not going to find this kind of information anywhere else, Uh, the amount of legwork, texting and effort it takes to put together, the snapshot of where they'll be, and Nate, there's too many guys to go through them all, give me one or two just morsels or nuggets that I could really chew on here as. Things that we want to watch this week on the bye week recruiting. Well,
0: we'll start out on the West Coast. Uh, You know, Lamar Jackson is a top 100 safety out of uh, out of Northern California. Uh, Brian Stewart is going to be at his football game on Friday night. He visited for Michigan State. uh, You know, took his last and you know final visit to Nebraska. Is going to be making a decision sometime in January. But this is you know a development that that has really come along quickly, and Nebraska is right in the mix with this you know uh, top 100 type of talent. an instant impact type of player out of out of uh, California. Um, you also have uh, you know Keith Williams is going to be seeing Darian Grimm, the wide receiver commit who's who's enrolling early at Nebraska, and that could be a huge development there. And then Mark Banker, Danny Langstorff are going to be at the Calabasas uh, High School. You know the whole Calabasas crew out of, out of there. You know Markel Dismuke, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Darnay Holmes, Tristan Jebia, Brian Hightower. All those guys are going to have two coordinators at their game on Friday night so that's a big development there uh, and Mike Riley's you know going to be going out across the country it's going to be seeing an offensive lineman in Illinois uh, I believe that he's going to be stopping by to see David Reese who's a mid-year enrollee um, linebacker out of Michigan who's currently committed to Michigan but uh, is essentially said that he won't be going there because they don't have room to take him right now he visited for a Michigan State game and he would be an absolute huge addition to this recruiting class and could very well be you know Know, part of the reason why William Johnson has kind of moved on from here uh, in this recruiting class. So They
4: want to continue the youth movement was the quote that Mark mm-hmm. Banker gave me uh, that Jugo linebacker, very unlikely right now, and they just want to continue with these younger freshman guys that they can build and develop.
0: That's right, and uh, you know, and then you point to some of the the JUCO you know players that Nebraska has targeted recently that could potentially come in and make an instant impact. You know, the the safety out of Arizona, Markel Simmons, is going to be visited uh, by Mark Banker on uh, on Thursday. He's going to be visiting Utah over the weekend and then making a decision between Utah and Nebraska, most likely shortly after, um, you know, after that trip. And I think Nebraska sitting in a great position there. And then there's some defensive linemen like Jordan Bonner the D end out of uh, northeastern Oklahoma a and m uh, the junior college that uh, is run by former Husker Ryan held out of Oklahoma uh, and then Jonathan Kongbo, a big DN target out of Arizona uh, that's an important you know prospect uh, for this recruiting class could come in and provide some immediate help at that DN position so so really you know from from uh, DiCaprio Boodle who's uh, the cornerback commit in Miami all the way out to uh, the whole Calabasas crew and Patrick O'Brien out in California, uh, the coaches are going to be everywhere. They week. are not going to be
4: home eating eating barbecue and watching no. football this weekend. They're no. going to be really busy. So. No one's
0: got their, their feet up on, on the coffee table uh, you know, watching football or, or just or, you know at home relaxing this week.
4: Well, Nate, we look forward to the coverage. Uh, we'll have plenty of updates uh, from the bye weekend recruiting as uh, there is a lot going on to follow uh, as we set the stage for ne- next week's Iowa game. Well, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Husker Online Show.
2: Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.